I turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today. We turn to Psalm 33. Here I'm going to read the whole psalm. This is the Lord's Word, inspired by Him and therefore inerrant. And so let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy an infallible word, Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by The multitude of an army, a mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. And this ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let us seek him in prayer briefly. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this written word, but even more so that you've given us your eternal word, Jesus Christ. We pray now that we would, by this written word, know him more deeply, and especially as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we pray that we would commune truly with Jesus Christ, our Savior, for we pray in his name. Amen. For our communion sermons, I thought that for a while we might consider the topic of Christ in the Psalms. Uh, This won't uh, be comprehensive, there will always be more that could be said, Uh, but I intend to hit, over the next several times that we observe the Lord's Supper, uh, highlights as we contemplate the person and work of the one who gave himself for us. In Luke 24, verse 27, we're told, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded to them all the scriptures, or in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Psalms in particular are full of Christ. 
When Paul instructs the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he then tells them to sing psalms. Today, as we begin considering this topic of Christ in the psalms, we begin with Christ in his pre-incarnate state. Christ before he took on human nature, the eternal word of God. Psalm 33 verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. And then verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now obviously we're meant to think here of the spoken word. If God says something, that makes it true. If he says so, it is so. And verse 6 in particular points to the creation account in Genesis 1. In that chapter, the phrase, and God said, is repeated over and over. And each time that he speaks, let there be something, that something comes to be. Psalm 33.7 refers to the making of the earth, even as verse 6 refers to the creation of the heavens. He gathers the waters of the seas together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. That's a poetic way of talking about God separating the dry land from the sea. And then doing that again, so to speak, after the flood even. But God created in the first place by speaking There's much more to the statement by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, than merely to say that he spoke all things into existence. That is part of it, and it shows us the the glory and the power of our God, that he causes things to be merely by speaking them. So that's certainly an element of what's being said here in Psalm 33, 6. But as progressive revelation took place, And God showed his people more and more of his nature and character. We find that there is a person of the Godhead known as the Word, through whom the heavens and the earth were made. Many times in the Old Testament we encounter a person typically called the angel of the Lord, or the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, and the one who is sent by the Lord, but who also is the Lord, who accepts the worship of people when they offer it to him, and who claims that he is the Lord himself. Consider the account in Genesis 22 of Abraham. The Lord commands Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. And as Hebrews 11 makes clear, Abraham does so knowing that God will keep his promise to give him descendants through Isaac. Therefore, if Isaac, who had no children as yet, uh, were to die, Abraham was sure that God would raise him up from the dead. We see Abraham's confidence in that fact in Genesis 22 when he tells his servants who have gone with him part of the way, uh, they found the mountain that God has pointed out in the mountains of Moriah, And he commands his servants to wait while he and Isaac go up the mountain and he tells them, and we will come back. However, as he prepares to slay his son, 
the angel of the Lord calls to him out of heaven and says, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So there the angel is saying, I see now that you fear God. Not that he didn't know the future, by the way. But this was a a test so that Abraham would see. And now it was apparent that all could see. And the rest of us now reading scripture can see Abraham's faith manifested in his perfect obedience in that regard. But the angel of the Lord says, you're offering your son to the Lord. You're offering your son to me. The angel in that case is the Lord. Or we might think of when a man wrestled with Jacob all night and then Jacob realized the morning I've seen the face of God and yet live. The New Testament tells us much more about him in his pre-incarnate eternal state. John 1 verses 1 through 3 say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Notice he's both God and with God. So there we have um, multiple personhood in the Godhead. And as we see clearly revealed in Scripture, there are three persons in the Godhead. But they're clearly implied there's more than one person in the Godhead. There's this word who is God and he's with God at the same time. And notice also that there is nothing that was made that was made without him. If he were a created being, as some people have tried to posit, the ancient Aryan heretics and modern Jehovah's Witnesses uh, try to say that the, the Son, God the Son, or the Word, was created by God. There was God, big G, a big G God, and then he created a little G God who then made everything else. Well, then the, the grammar here of John 1 verse 3 would make no sense. There was nothing that was made that wasn't made by him. If he were a created being, there would be something that was made that he didn't make. He didn't make himself. As I've said, what I've talked about this before, uh, use the example to say, well, what did you say when your parents asked you whether you should be conceived or not? They could, that's nonsensical. You can't be consulted about whether you'll be created or not. You're not there right, to, to have anything to do with it. But this word that we're talking about here in John chapter 1, he, he made everything that was made. He was not a created thing. So John tells us nothing that was made was not made by him. He is the uncreated creator. That's who we're talking about here. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, Psalm 33, 6 says. Think of Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. It tells us, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom, or by whom, the Greek can mean there, through whom or by whom, either way, he also made the worlds. So all things were made by him, by the word, by God the Son. Hebrews 1.3 then tells us that the Son is, 
is God's own expression of himself to his people, saying he is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Now we begin to see maybe why he might be called the Word. He's God's expression of himself to his people. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He's probably talking there about heavenly beings. Even the heavenly beings were made by him. He's not one of them. They're created. He's not. All things were created through him, for him, or and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So there we see that uh, we can't surmise from that expression that Paul says there that he's the firstborn over all creation, that Paul's not saying that he was created, because then the rest of those verses that I just read there wouldn't make sense. We've already established he's the uncreated creator. Rather, Paul's talking there about status. Firstborn is a status, scripturally speaking. Think of Joseph, who was far from being the firstborn child of Jacob, but he received that status as Jacob's firstborn. Christ is preeminent in authority over all creation. Of course, as God, he is the the creator and the sustainer of all of creation and therefore rules it. And as man, he's above everything but God. He's the firstborn. He's preeminent in authority over all creation. He made the universe. He sustains its existence. In Philippians 2, 5, and 6, we read of his eternal Godhead. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says that there because he's going to talk now about Christ's humility in the coming verses. And so he's saying, uh, follow Christ in that regard. Be humble like him. But he begins there by saying, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. There was nothing wrong or inappropriate about God the Son being equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is one and the same God. There's no robbery there. So in John 17, 5, Jesus prays, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So before anything else was created, Jesus shared the same glory as the Father. Now think of the Lord's words in Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. So if Jesus shares glory with the Father, and God doesn't give his glory to anybody but God, then Jesus is, this, is one and the same God. Jesus shares glory with the Father, then he is the same God as the Father. He is Yahweh. This is the eternal word of God, who not only made the heavens and earth, but who entered into creation then and took on human nature. So here's where we see distinction of the persons of the Godhead. The Father didn't take on human nature. The Holy Spirit didn't take on human nature, but the Son did. So they are one and the same God. They have the same nature as God. They possess... Each one of them possesses all the same attributes that are common to God, that make God God. And yet there's a distinction of personhood. If 
If the Father does something, God did it. If the Son does something, God did it. If the Holy Spirit does something, God did it. But if the Son does something, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit did it or that the Father did it. And that's true of all three of the persons of the Godhead. There's distinction of personhood, but oneness of nature. And here's one thing that the Son did that the other persons of the Godhead didn't do. That is, he took on a human nature. John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Father didn't become flesh and dwell among us. The Spirit didn't, but the Son did. And in that flesh, in that human nature, he gave himself for his people. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. So after Paul says, he, it wasn't robbery, There was nothing inappropriate for him to be equal with God. And yet, here's the humility that he gives us the example of. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's even the most humiliating kind of public death that you could undergo in that culture. He was humble enough to be obedient even to that point. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, so he's, he's fully God, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made Peace through the blood of his cross. He gave himself for his people. 1 Timothy 1.15 puts it simply like this. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what we remember when we observe the Lord's Supper. So what should our response be to this knowledge? Psalm 33 gives us some help in this regard, even as it tells us that we are to recognize the word by the word of the Lord. The heavens were made. We see some help also here as how we should respond. Verses 8 and 9 Tell us of fear, reverence and awe toward our Lord and Savior. Let all the people, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. We also see patience. Waiting upon the Lord. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Thirdly, we see rejoicing in verse 21. For our heart shall rejoice in him. And then lastly, trust. The rest of verse 21. Because we have trusted in his holy name. Revere the Lord Jesus, especially for what he has done. Stand in awe of him. Especially as you're thinking on that as you take if you are a communicant here today if you're taking the Lord's Supper revere Jesus for what he's done 
Wait upon him with patience to bring about his plans. He's promised to bring about many good things. Wait patiently for them. He made the heavens and the earth. He can certainly keep his promises. Rejoice in his accomplished work of redemption. And trust him going forward in all things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that our Creator has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would build up our reverence for Him and patience, cause us to rejoice in Him, trusting Him who is faithful and true, to return and to make all things new. For we pray in His blessed name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.